and welcome aboard the Giddy Carousel of Pop. This is a podcast all about the legendary and hugely influential fortnightly music magazine, The Swingerillion Smash It, which ran from 1978 to 2006. And I just happen to have kept a load of copies from back in the day. So with the help of a couple of fellow pop kids, we're going to take one of those old magazines and have a look through it and see what we find. But first of all, let's do some introductions. I'm Simon, and with me is Gavin. Hello there. And uh, we'll be your hosts in this journey through the back issues of pop, but we'll all always have a guest on board the carousel to help us in our quest and i'm delighted to welcome our good buddy tim oh hello thank you for asking a tremendously exciting special guest <laughs> yeah you're very special i hope the uh, the carousel doesn't spin too fast for you i'm hanging on for dear life <laughs> so for our first excursion into the world of smash it's uh, the carousel has landed smack bang in the middle of the 80s the 6th to the 19th of november 1985 to be precise with a very young jim kerr peering out at us from the cover and if you want to read along with us you can do just that thanks to a couple of amazing websites brian mccloskey's like punk never happened and Michael Caine's Smash Hits Remembered and both are essentially Smash Hits archives with hundreds of editions of the mag scanned and uploaded in full. You'll find a link to this specific edition in the show notes and uh, that's not all. You'll also find links to Spotify and YouTube playlists which round up pretty much all the songs and artists featured in this edition of The Hits. Uh, We'll also be posting these links on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for The Giddy Carousel of Pop or Giddy Pop Pod. Uh, now, before we get stuck in, we need we need to get ourselves in the right frame of mind, set the scene a little bit. So, uh, what were we up to in 1985, Gavin? Well, I can tell you exactly what I was up to in 1985 because uh, I still have my teenage diaries, uh, which ran 85 and 86, um, and I filled in every day. There, there were quite short entries for each day, so um, I managed to keep on top of things. So, I was um, flicking through a couple of days ago. And really, me in November 1985, I seemed to be mostly, A, um, mooning over a Welsh girl I'd met on a recent school field trip um, and exchanging love letters with her. I I think I'd I'd only met her once briefly and decided I was in love with her. And um, we exchanged several letters during uh, November. Um, She did ring me for about 15 minutes uh, on, yeah, November the 21st, which was kind of smack bang in the middle of this, uh, she rang me and uh, I think I was very nervous and confused and uh, it, even it said in my uh, in my diary, I didn't know what to say for a while, which, uh, you know, was me with girls in 1985 and for several years after. Um, Saturdays I'd end up spending all my pocket money down at uh, record shops in Birmingham or Sully Hall. I was living in Sully Hall, but Birmingham had much better record shops. So I can tell you exactly. Uh, do you want to know what records I bought in November? Go on. <laughs> well, that set the scene nicely for you. So uh, on the uh, first, second Saturday of the month, I went into town with Dave and Brian. I bought a really good shirt. I bought Waterboys 12-inch of uh, Hole of the Moon. Ooh. Long Riders, uh, looking for Lewis and Clark. Echo and the Bunnymen, Bring on the Dancing Horses 7 and Simple Shoot. Minds alive, alive and Kicking, 7-inch. Following Saturday, I was back in town. I only bought one single that week. It was uh, it was a strange choice, really. It must have been like a second-hand single. Bitten by a love bug by the Revillos, 50p brackets. <laughs> and then um, and I also bought a Paisley tie in Foster's that day for 49p. On the, the following Saturday, I went shopping in Sully Hall. I bought The Show by Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew and uh, The Cure, close to me. And I think that was it for uh, 
for records in that month. Yeah, yeah, that was me lot. Although I did also make a Marillion tape for a friend at school. Did that friendship end soon after? Or? I think it did, yeah, because I was looking at the name and I was like, I don't remember who that was now. So I think it might have, put, might have been the death knell in our relationship. And I did, oh yeah, I also bought a second-hand record off um, uh, Darren Harris in school. He, he uh, sold me the Unforgettable Fire LP for £2. I think uh, it maybe wasn't what he was expecting, you know, um, Bono had gone all Eno and uh, I think he was maybe wanting something a bit more strident, so he sold me that. So, yeah, so that was the kind of music I was listening to. Uh, and the other thing in my diary a lot was just complaining about revision because I'd have been in the last year of secondary school and just getting really hacked off with having to revise for things. So, um, yeah, so that was me. So I think it was quite... Uh, I mean, in terms of pop stuff, you know, buying lots of records, but, uh, you know, my love life was obviously chaotic as a 15-and-a-half-year-old. And, uh, yeah, like I say, just complaining about my mum and my nan and the amount of revision I had to do. Well, that's exceptional detail. Thank you very much. (laughs) I was going to say, I can't promise such a level of detail for uh, every Smash Hits, but, you know, this one, you're in luck because the diaries cover it. So, uh, yeah, there we go. We need the R-Tune Simon Bates music on when you're talking about your love life there. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, Um, I'm a little bit younger than you guys. Don't want to rub it in like, but anyway. um, So I would have been 12. We were living in a very isolated little village in the middle of nowhere, sort of on the outskirts of the nearest city would have been uh, Hull. uh, And the nearest town would have been, I suppose, a place called Howden. So there wasn't an awful lot going on. And then in terms of uh, records... Um, I think at this point, I'd got to the point where I decided I was going to be cool. Uh, and I was, pop music was rubbish and cheap and naff. And I wanted to listen to proper serious music like you two and Simple Minds. <laughs> uh, so I, I was becoming uh, a horrific rock snob at this point. Uh, so, yes, I was into proper music, I decided. Uh, so it was, yeah, Unforgettable Fire, which, uh, and it was all on cassettes. I think I would have got my first Walkman around about this time. Not a Sony one, it would have been a, a Sanyo or a, a, a Dixon's own brand or something like that, but I was absolutely thrilled with it. And so very much the era of just like locked up in your bedroom, head, green foam, uh, orange foam headphones on, listening to Unforgettable Fire over and over again, learning every single little detail of the music. Um, I can't abide you two now, but like I say, I, I think that was a, quite an interesting little precursor to sort of some of the music I got into later because it's got, Obviously, you know on it, and there's loads of sort of weird kraut rock influences and bits of mm. slightly television and things like that in there, and sort of some of the guitars and everything. So, in a way, there was uh, I was getting some good information from that record, but I couldn't stand to listen to it now. Simple Minds I was listening to a lot, and it would have been the album that was what was the album after Sparkle in the Rain? Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time. So we were rinsing that. I was borrowing stuff off my older sister, um, including her copies of Smash Hits. Uh, she got them delivered, and I would um, read them after. Uh, and I eventually, because I wanted my own magazine, so I had to settle for number one, <laughs> oh, which is a poor relation to Smash It. It's just nowhere near as good. And what used to really annoy me about number one was it didn't have so much colour in it. So Smash It's, if you flick through a copy, it's just absolutely chock full of colour and gloss and excitement. And number one looked really sort of like flat and, you know, you'd have, you'd have like a pink and grey page and a, a brown looking page and it was just absolutely nowhere near as good as the mighty Smash It. So, um, but yeah, so that would that would have been me at the time. Simple Minds, you two, Bunny Men, 
big country, all the cool bands, all the bands <laughs> I thought, I thought that this is it. I'm a proper, proper like arty indie kid now. I'm into this sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was my intro to that kind of music. And mostly on cassette. So Walkman's cassettes from, you know, occasional trips to Hull or York. Uh, and I think hardly any vinyl i think i had blue monday on 12 inch the old you know the old um floppy disk uh sleeve and probably i think uh, a bunch of you two 12 inches as well all of which have now gone and that was pretty much me but like i say you only had a, only had a few things and they got played and played to death over and over again and then a few few howard jones and nick kershaw sevens as well like every, <laughs> every other good pop kid and of course now compilations and radio one that was where music came from. Yeah. I mean, would you have been listening to the chart show, watching Top of the Pops and all, all that kind of stuff? Absolutely, yeah. So even though I, I started to become a horrific rock snob, I would have been sat in front of Top of the Pops every Thursday without fail, probably going, oh, what's this rubbish? It's not a patch on Johnny Swallow, the B-side of Fire by you 2 um, <laughs> And definitely Radio 1 on in the car, Radio 1 on, you know, all day, every day, pretty much, whenever we got a chance to listen to it. That was just um, essential. Uh, and and taping the charts, like I'm sure you guys would have been doing, waiting to find out what was number one. And then, uh, I bet you guys did this thing, did you? And are we getting, don't want to get too Peter Kay, eh? Who remembers, remember Curly Whirlies? What's that all about, eh? Um, I don't want to get too Peter Kay on you, but I bet you guys both did this way. Did you do your own radio shows and record them and play stuff off the radio? And I not only did my own radio show, I did it, <laughs> did a school radio station. Wow. Oh, wow. Called Tenap Radio. It would have been around about this time with, with my friend Liam Shaw. <laughs> um, Tenap was uh, the Emmanuel News and Print. Or so, or no, the Emmanuel News and Pop. That's what it was. Wow. And so it was like what was happening in our little part of Sheffield and then just cribbing stories out of smash hits. And we used to record it in, in the music room at junior school uh, where they had a snare drum. So I was trying to do the 20th Century Fox thing on, on a snare drum for the intro of the show. But hopelessly, you know, I'd never played a drum before. I just thought I could go in and start doing, you know, sound like a 100 uh, military drummers. But <laughs> um and then um, the other thing that me and my friend Liam used to do is because at that time, uh, instrumental versions of songs were popular on, on B-sides. So you, you bought uh, Freedom by Wham, it's the instrumental version on the B-side. Oh, you bought Freedom Dub. Yeah, free, yeah. And, then, and, and or This Is Not America by uh, David Bowie and the Pat Metheny Group, the instrument on the B-side. So we used to add a little microphone, we'd plug into one side of the cassette deck and uh, we'd sing over these things and then put those on the tape for the... Uh, get played in assembly. I think we only did it <laughs> twice. <laughs> that, that reminds me of another thing, which is that this is the year of um, Live Aid, right? It is. So we, at school, we uh, just before Christmas, we staged, not long after this issue, we staged our very own Live Aid concert on the school stage. And we each got up. I don't know, we managed to find some guitars and a drum kit and everybody took it in turns to get up and be one of the bands that was on at Live Aid. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was, I was in. I was the edge, so I got to be the edge uh, in U2, and we mimed our way through a couple of U2 numbers. The guy who was being Bono didn't go into the audience and try and pick up a girl or anything like that. And then um, a guy I knew, uh, he decided he wanted to be Spear of Destiny. <laughs> so, so Spear of Destiny made a surprise appearance at our live eight, doing Liberator. Fantastic. Oh, did you have anyone flying in from another school in a helicopter as the Phil Collins? <laughs> On the school bus. Yeah, we should have Being interviewed by Andy Kershaw. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we messed up there. Yeah, could have got one on the Yeah, that's right. You could have got one on the school bus. Brilliant. Gav, you didn't mention, the, you know, sort of like your other sources for music. How, how were you discovering things? Yeah, well, I mean, like like you, um, Top of the Pops was appointment television every Thursday. That was normally around at my nan and granddad's who live around the corner because I think my mum was at a night school for most Thursdays, I seem to remember. So I'd go up into... They had, like, a little colour TV in their bedroom, so I was allowed to go up there because they were watching Emmerdale or Corrie or something. So I'd go and uh, watch that on my own. Um, And so, yeah, always watch that. Top 40 on the radio, I think by that age I I wasn't taping it very often. I'd listen to it if it was on, but I wasn't sort of, um, I wasn't as bothered about chart positions I had been sort of um, a few years before when I'd see where the Smiths were up to or Adamant's new record was. Um, Whistle Test, I'd watch every week because I I liked that and, you know, I liked um, Mark Ellen and Dave Hepworth. I I feel like I knew where I was with them after growing up with them in Smash Hits. Um, The Tube, I kind of, it's one of those I remember fondly and yet probably half the stuff that was on there I really didn't like at all. I always seem to remember them having Tina Turner on most weeks or the Eurythmics, you know. Yeah. They did have some, (laughs) they kind of waxed and waned a lot, didn't they? They had some really quite interesting people on, you know, like people like, uh, you know, Edward Barton and Virginia Astley and The Fall and stuff. And yet they'd also have, you know, the Power Station on and, you know, like big rock bands and uh, it wasn't, as much as I hate this word curated, but you know, there was no, there was no curating going on really, wasn't it? It was just like no. a real strange mix, which, you it's, know, was fun and exciting, but yeah. it was very hit and miss, you know, so uh, I didn't always watch it. Well, by this time, we, we'd got a video recorder. Oh. And not only that, we'd got a new tape deck. So we've got a dual tape deck. So that meant I could just tape uh, an hour and a half of the top 40. So I would start recording it at 5.30 wasn't bothered about what was happening between five and half past. Uh, and I'd just let the tape run and then listen to that all week and then just copy the songs that I wanted over to another tape. Wow, amazing. And then tape over the full 90-minute tape again. And I used to do the same with the, the tube and whistle test as well. I'd tape those every week and then um, just transfer, because I got my dad to make up a lead that connect the, the, the video recorder up to the stereo. And it was... Yes. Oh, it was mind-blowing. And um, so, so I'd, I'd just copy across the songs that I wanted. So Edward Barton, it was that, um, I've got no chickens, but I've got five wooden chairs. I've chicken, got five yeah, wooden yeah, chairs. yeah. yeah. You've, I take it you've still got all these tapes as well, haven't you? Well, what, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying yes. I've still got all the tube and whistle test tapes I've got, and I've still got I've still got all my tapes from Live Aid. We didn't have a video recorder at that point, but I recorded it all uh, on a C- bunch of C90s. Did did all hand drawn covers for it as well. And Top of the Pops, like Gavin said, appointment viewing. Uh, my earliest memories are watching Top of the Pops when I was like two years old. And how old am I in like, this? Yeah, so I just turned 12 in November 85. And we just got the video recorder. And uh, I was taping the, the whole editions of Top of the Pops every week and wanted to keep them. But my dad was like, no, video chess tapes are too bloody expensive. So we bought the leads so we could uh, go. I went round to my cousin's house, connected it up to his video recorder and copied across the songs that I wanted. <laughs> There's a theme uh, developing here. Um, but in, in terms of, in terms of like, you know, buying records and stuff like that, um, this was the year that I'd really got into buying records as they were coming out. So not just waiting for them to appear in the ex jukebox rack in, in the newsagents, but actually going downtown and I was allowed to go downtown on my own. 
and going to you know, the various record shops in Sheffield and went down there with my birthday money and all that sort of thing and uh, yeah, bought, bought the records that I like. So uh, Tim, like yourself, I, I was turning into a bit of a, a bit of a rock snob mm. by this point, but still listening to the top forty, watching Top of the Pops, and getting smash hits every week. Which, well, every fortnight, I should say. Uh, the one that I've got here still got my name written on the front by the news agent in the uh, the T of Smash It's written in little letters across the top Galloway. I just remember looking forward to that day. Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, just that was just so exciting wait for Smash It's to land through the letterbox and having to, to wait until my sister had had it and then, and then I would get them. <laughs> and we kept them uh, and we read them over and over again. If you got into a band later on, I'd be start going through the old issues, going looking for anything at all, any trace of, I don't know, New Order or something when I got when I started listening to them and go back and oh my god there's an advert for them and yeah. put that on the wall and there's a tiny little gig review or something or an album review or something and things like that so yeah they were our little archive and that was where you got all your information from so that's why it was, it was so exciting and top of the pops and smash it I, I mean the, the main reason for me buying smash it's was uh well not me because my mom used to pay for it uh let's see how much was this well 43 pence this particular 43 uh was i was just looking for anything about david bowie uh, any news about david bowie at all just a slight mention of dame dave would be enough for me maybe st- extremely short changed by this issue yeah now, yeah well it would have been yeah but near a whiff of the dame in here <laughs> <laughs> so let's get stuck into this uh, edition shall we so we've got jim kerr on the cover a rather odd coat that makes it look like he's popping his head out of a drain pipe yeah it is <laughs> an odd it's cover, like a lego it? jim kerr <laughs> i think it must have been several sizes too big for him or something it reminds me of um i can't remember the doctor who monster but you know the ones that had like bald heads and like no no neck yes oh you not know, the silurians could, could have been the silurians yeah i don't know but i'm sure they had bald heads and 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 like a gray metal body thing like that and no ne- and it yeah yeah it's it's a, yeah. it's a strange look i don't know what he's Trying to achieve, and his hair—it's not—it's not a good look, is it? It's a bit mushroomy, you know. But he's just not made an effort, has he? Really? But he hasn't. He looks like he's not had enough sleep either. Is there a very late night? I think he has. Weirdly enough, my uh, my sister, who I used to borrow this, who would have borrowed this edition of Smash Hits, is off. He's just on holiday at the minute in um, Sicily, yeah. and uh, checked into the hotel. You never guess who the owner is. It's only Jim Kerr from Simple Minds, <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Kerr's nephews on reception. How about that? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> There's no memorabilia that to speak of apart from the guitar that was on the front of they did some terrible acoustic sessions album or something and there's a there's a guitar on the front with all their song titles written on it and that's hanging on the wall so maybe that'll come back Jeez. with them we'll see yeah how about that he's done yeah. right for himself any old Jimbo there with his it's little hotel is it on Airbnb can we have a look at what it is <laughs> yeah get online just just Google Jim Kerr Hotel there's a advertorial in one of the newspapers where Jim Kerr tells us about his favourite place and just happens to mention that he has a hotel there looks very nice apparently it's very nice worth a visit if you're ever in the area call in what do you know uh, so yeah we've got uh, hit songs by uh, Eurythmics Kate Bush Madness and many more Simple Minds are our uh, headline artists on there uh, we've also got features on Susie and the Banshees UB40 a small one on Paul Hardcastle, a bit of a live report on Go West. Uh, it says Howard Jones, but I'm not quite sure what the Howard Jones feature is. Oh, no, it's the... Uh, well, it's just the, the centre-fold, isn't it? Oh, well, we'll save that. We'll save that. That's, that's, that's yeah. going to be a special moment when we get for that. I need some glasses for 
together and Duran Duran the film. Uh, so let's get stuck straight into what for me is the beating heart of Smash It's, and that's bits. Yeah. The fortnightly roundup of tidbits and news and uh, little competitions and things like that. Gavin, anything take your eye on the first couple of pages of bits there? Well, just just on the very first page, it's, it seems really kind of incongruous that um, Cocteau Twins get a mention, you know. Yeah. The spooky old Cocteau Twins. A full-track 12-inch, <laughs> yeah, the spooky old Spooky Cocteau old twins. Cocteau Twins. <laughs> Which uh, I was like straight away, I was like, oh, that's strange. Um... I mean, just just the language in these things is is hilarious. Um, um, that picture, I think Tim mentioned in a previous email when we were discussing this uh, with Bauhaus, and the article <laughs> just starts and <laughs> just goes on for like a sentence. I don't know what came over me. <laughs> um, the Andrew Ridgely story caught my eye. Which, again, you know, it's, it's a great example of the language of Smash It's, which, if you haven't read it for a while... Um, it actually seems very, very strange coming back to it now, but I think we just took it... It was just normal back then, but there's absolutely nothing normal about this. So Andrew originally pictured in his car with a, uh, a lady possibly sat in the passenger seat. It says, Oh, look, Andrew Ridgely's found himself the rather attractive chiclet, that's in inverted commas, lots of inverted commas, to kiss and canoodle with in public. But he dragged the poor girl along to smelly old Silverstone racetrack the other week. I was so eager to get back to her that he crashed his racing car after only one lap so they could have lots of slurpy tongue sarnies in the pits. Horrible, oily place where cars are mended. She's called Donia. Why do pop stars' girlfriends always have such stupid names? And that that wasn't me. That that's what what was written there. And very spooky. This Blitz reckons she and Andy look incredibly similar. They don't. No, not that much. No, she's a bit pouty, isn't she? But that's it. Uh, Andrew looks just a little bit confused there. I think that was his default look, though. To be honest, mm. as Gav was saying about they were mentioning Cocteau Twins, but Sonic Youth get a mention as well. They do, which is really strange about them doing a gig. Um, there's Deutsche Americana Freundschaft down there on page five. <laughs> you know, so they would still cover some of the sort of more alternative and indie stuff, and they always did, which I thought was great. And they sort of stopped doing that when it all went very um, soap stars. But uh, but you know they always they always they always got a look in uh, if you pardon the pun those bands. Um, the other thing is well they seem to they've really got it in for Dexies. Um, the, the the new image of Dexies, which they did for the um, um, oh, what's the album called? Uh, Don't stand me down. You can edit that. Don't stand me <laughs> down album uh, where they they're going into that sort of preppy look. Um, Smash It was not impressed by that. They wanted the jeans. They wanted the two rye. They wanted the banjos. They did not want the suits. Uh, and they have a little dig at them a couple of times in this issue. Uh, and obviously everyone bangs on about that record as being an absolute classic. But it tanked at the time. And uh, yeah, you could just it's really interesting to see how those things were perceived. It wasn't pop. And he broke all the rules of pop, and ten-minute-long singles weren't going to cut it with the Smash Hits readers. That was for sure. And there's the Pet Shop Boys, of course, with Neil Tennant still writing mm. for the uh, for the magazine. They haven't quite just about to release West End Girls, so Neil Tennant will be uh, departing, I guess, very shortly, straight down the dumper. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one band that that caught my eye was um, Daz Euphony Kicks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now. Who? <laughs> Three more from them later. <laughs> yeah. no, when, I, when I looked into it, I could only find uh, on, on Discogs um, one single, and that was just a, a promo advance copy. Mm. So it looked as though it never 
actually appeared. Uh, but the the little piece here in bits is a uh, grew meet meet the spooky dazzy phony kicks. <laughs> How do they come up with these names? They haven't got a record out yet, but we thought we'd just show you the kind of thing people in new groups feel they have to get up to to get noticed. Zig Zig Sputnik have got a lot to answer for, who, to my knowledge, hadn't even uh, released a, a record at that point. But thanks to Discogs, I now know the lineup of Das Euphony Kicks. Ooh. Yeah, so we've got Steve Honest on bass, <laughs> Killian, spelt with a K. So that's Killian, Killian, yeah, Killian uh, oh. McGrath, I think it is on drums. Um, Troy Tempest on guitar, yes, and Umbi Rays on vocals. Wow, that's an impressive lineup, isn't it? Troy I'm Tempest. He sounds like a Larry Parr's name, doesn't it? Troy Tempest. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's um, Stingray, isn't it? Uh, Thunderbirds. Can't remember now. I've got no idea. Oh dear, get me pop culture wrong there. Right. Uh, so uh, yeah, skipping on. I saw the birthdays there. Uh, so Prince Charles was uh, celebrating his 37th birthday. Joe Leeway. Oh, from Thompson Twins. Oh, is that who it was? Thompson Twins, yeah. Okay. It says Joe Leeway, 28 again. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Kim Wilde, 25, on November the 18th. And uh, on November the 16th, celebrating his 53rd birthday, it's Uncle Disgusting. Yes. A recurring character <laughs> in, uh, in in Smash It. So I think we're probably all old enough now to be uh, Uncle Disgustings, aren't we? Yeah. I'm almost there, yeah. Nothing disgusting about you, Gav. God bless you. <laughs> And then did you spot the uh, the little uh, rant about Top of the Pops there as well? Yeah, and it's telling you to watch the tube <laughs> for some proper music, isn't it? Because it's, it's complaining about um, DJs whittering on over the same boring old video clips. So, uh, yeah, go and watch the tube and listen to Jules Holland whittering on <laughs> over some live music and absolutely atrocious, appalling comedy acts. Uh, maybe they'd sort it out by then, but some good bands coming out there. The Fall are going to be on. Uh, Neil's boring, boring Lofgren. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, that's great, isn't it? Uh, the Colts and Cameo. Oh, yeah. It's not bad. And just above that, Tim was talking before about listening to uh, Once Upon a Time. You ah. could have won in a competition a uh, one of those slidey puzzle things of the front cover. Wow. Imagine that. I love one of those. That You can literally th- rearrange Jim Kerr's face. <laughs> yeah. I think competition entries might have closed now, Tim. I think you're out of luck. Oh, mate. is it too late? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Answer, it, have you seen it? It says, uh, answers on the back of a parallelogram. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think the best way to proceed is, is just to you know turn the pages. Otherwise, you're going to end up ripping the uh, the magazine apart here. Um, what do we find? It's the fragrance, Susie. Susie. Um, now I was reading through this like I say it was very strange coming back to smash it after after a long time and I was reading through this and thinking but when are they going to talk about the music they don't do they not really <laughs> no. no and I guess that you would have known the music and if you were interested in, in Susie and you knew the music then you're not going to want to read about it it's not like you're reading The Enemy or, or Sounds or Melody Maker or something like that well smash it you looked at the pictures you looked at the lyrics uh, you looked at the, put the posters out and put them on your wall. I mean, I did, and then the read the stuff you read. I don't remember really reading the interviews. I remember just reading bits and the letters and uh, maybe the singles reviews. Just those are the bits that you read. The interviews were just a bit of a bit of a sideshow, really. And they're just, they're all quite short. They're only like a page long, aren't they? So yeah, it was all about the the visuals, really, and just flicking through it. I don't remember reading this bit. I have to say. Now this this one gets quite dark, doesn't it? You know, there's bits about. Children being uh, there's a bit where they talk about child abuse and children being left in drawers to die. And she says, uh, if I had a four year old daughter and she were molested and left dead in a ditch, then honestly, what would you think? I mean, it's not your standard kind of 
kids pop interview, is it really? And the other thing that made me laugh about this was that um, we find out that the rest of the Banshees are in the next room watching snooker <laughs> while this interview is going on. So it's all very strange, really. <laughs> so we get to our. Um, is this our first lyric? I do believe it is. I still dream of organ on. Can only be Kate Bush. Yes. Cloud busting. I, I remember seeing the um, video for this as a supporting feature at the cinema. And it is a quite a filmic thing. It's got Donald Sutherland uh, in, in there. So it's how I always think of this song now, is mm. sat in that, that grotty little cinema, uh, waiting for, for Back to the Future to start. Also, these lyrics in here, um, 85 gets a bit of a bad rap. I think people tend to say it's the day, you know, when the, the 80s started to turn a bit sour, people tend to say that the early 80s were the golden era. Um, but there are some absolutely cracking tunes in this. The Grace Jones, Slater Rhythm and Cloud Busting. Uh, just remind you that there were some really good tunes around. It is one of my favourite years of the 80s. Oh, I yeah. think because it was that year that, you know, like I said, I started buying stuff brand new um, you know, as it was coming out, you know, whether it be Go West and Redbox or the Style Council and David Bowie, whatever it was, I was going out and buying it. So it's, it's it has a special place in my heart this year. But yeah, I mean, it, it, like I say, it does get bit of a bad rap but for me that's 1986 which is uh yeah that year is totally down the dumper yeah um is howard jones having a baby (laughs) (laughs) we still don't know the answer it must be like a miracle of nature it's the longest gestation period (laughs) Uh, so this is the uh the get smart column uh which is uh got a burning question which uh, linda duff um used to do has midyear got any friends yes i love that Can you find out if Madonna reads any magazines? And if so, which ones? Yeah, this is anything except Playboy brackets, nigga. Yeah. <laughs> As Sucks of Madness seems to be interested in young'uns, I don't know where that's going. Could you tell me the name of his children and any other names he likes? So why would you want to know Sucks from Madness, uh, his favourite uh, names for kids. Well, there was no Google. There was no Google, so this is what you had to do in those days. Well, I, guess, I, guess, I guess you're right there. I hadn't, hadn't thought of it in that way. <laughs> there's there's a night out, by the way, isn't there, with Midge-Year and Midge, Steve Strange, uh, Mark King from Over 42, <laughs> Bob Geldof and Nick Beggs from Kajagoogoo. That's a that's a base off right there as well, isn't it? With old Nick and, keep Nick and Mark separate. They're gonna they're gonna clash. Oh, man, that's a party I want to be at. (laughs) It's going to end in a fight that night, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, discussing Mark Armand's hairdresser. Um, Yeah. As far as I know, this is the question, as far as I know, nobody's ever mentioned where Mark Armand gets his hair cut. So where? And that's uh, Steve Rolland in Derby asking that question. Uh, the, The answer to which is the willing sinner has his uh, barnet thoroughly seen to every six weeks by Scottish snips person, <laughs> Graham Stewart, who is a friend of the legendary Jane at Sun Bizarre and especially flown down from Aberdeen for the job. Cool. I mean, that's living the life, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Fly your hairdresser in to do the old Mark Allman barnet. <laughs> Um, so we skip on a few pages. We've got a um, couple of more song lyrics here. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, bring on the dancing horses. Yay. Yay. The Bunnymen. Yeah, I went out and Mac. bought this. Double double pack seven inch with uh, a John Peel seven inch for free in oh, there. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Why is, yeah, why is uh, Ian McCulloch standing behind a cow? 
Oh, yeah. Have you noticed that? It's a dancing horse, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they couldn't get yeah, a dancing horse. They couldn't the horses. get a dancing horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sticking with a cow. And, uh, and then Madness there, down to six. Uh, they're no longer the Magnificent Seven. Someone's left, haven't they? Not so nutty now. And uh, they're, they're trying to get a bit more grown up, aren't they? They're, they're just about... They are, as you can see on the photograph, uh, members of Madness are desperately trying to stay out of the dumper. In fact, they look like they're sliding mm. into it at a, at a rate. <laughs> Tumbling the way towards Baluey Sum and uh, Blood Buster Blood Vessel in the uh, down the dumper. Yeah, they're on their way. So we turn the page again. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, to, to be greeted with the uh, the wonderfully blank staring face <laughs> of. Ali Campbell from UB40, who's clearly just thinking about making money, because uh, that's all this uh, this article seems to be about. Written by uh, Chris Heath, who of course went on to do uh, great things uh, with the Pet Shop Boys and has done a biography of Robbie Williams as well, which I hear is very good. I've not read it myself. Now, basically, this this piece is just UB40 moaning about being famous. <laughs> Picked out this little bit here, um, Brian. It's one of the members of uh, UB40 there's rather a lot of them. Brian points to the mug on the table. A rather nice UB40 British tall mug with a fake gold rim. Can you believe that, he splutters? It's like being in Yes or Genesis, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Have have we all seen the uh, Promises and Lies, the UB40 documentary? It was on BBC4 a couple of years ago. Yes. Have you seen it, Gavin? No, I didn't see it. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, check it out if it comes back on iPlayer. It's just extraordinary. It's about all the financial... It's obviously, there are now two UB40s, aren't there? There's UB40 yeah. and Ali Campbell's UB40 or whatever they're called, and it's just horrendous. And the the money, where all the money's gone, it's like a whodunit. You flip from side to side. You, you can't decide who your allegiance is with and who you think's in the right and who's in the wrong. It's really interesting. Uh, and the, just the way their relationship, especially the two brothers has gone are the two main brothers in the bands and uh it's like a absolute soap opera it's amazing um, but the amount of money they squandered is terrifying and it's already mentioned here because they've they they started their own record label dep international and it's already gone they're already complaining in this article because i think that's gone bump so that you know the money's already spilling out of the ub40 machine here even though they're they're at their absolute peak filling stadiums all over the place but uh, yeah it's an amazing story if you get a chance to watch that UB40 documentary don't miss it so Cav these were um, local to you were they local heroes did they mean much to uh... no, not, no not to me I remember when um, when 1 in 10 hit the charts and thinking I, I quite liked that but then they very quickly to me just got very bland and uh, they just always seemed kind of quite naff and, and cheesy and I mean reading this interview it, I'm, God even reading it now you just think they're it's really depressing, isn't it? And sort of cynical and they're so world weary, you know, and it's it's not like they've been going for decades and decades, you know, they're not the Rolling Stones in the noughties, you know, they're like, <laughs> they're, it's still mid eighties, you know, it's six years ago, they were playing the local pubs, you know, six years isn't that long a time really, but they're just so, like I say, world weary. And the fact that they've got no money and they've just, even though um, I Got You Babe has just been number one with Chrissy Hine for a long time and, it was a big hit in America. But, yeah, they just 
seem thoroughly miserable by the whole experience, don't they? Yeah. The first couple of albums, I mean, that everyone's, people will sort of say this will present arms and um, signing off the first couple of you before albums are quite pretty good. They're, those early singles are, are decent. Um, but in the documentary, the new one, Ali Campbell just goes, yeah, I didn't think very much of those. They were no good. Uh, we, we, we couldn't play in tune. Then we did Labour of Love and then we really hit our stride. So basically they just think their early stuff is rubbish. And and yeah. they're, you know they they're hugely proud of all the really bad cod reggae stuff they did later on. It's really strange. Their attitude to their own career is is bizarre as as, as just as much as this incredible never ending feud that's going on now. So yeah. one of the weird things as well is uh, there's there's a quote um, sort of at the end of the uh, first column of print where that uh, I think it's Ali that's talking and he says the worst thing is the constant paranoia. That's about a million different times. For instance, your own mental state. Am I going crackers? Because you're always in a hotel room and it seems like you're going crazy. And the fact that you've left your wife at home and there are 56,000 blokes around there every night with her. Oh, yes, oh, I, remember, I read that, yeah. <laughs> what? 56,000? I, I didn't quite understand that. What are they all doing? I, think it, I don't know. <laughs> you must have a big house. Well, yeah, 56,000 blokes around with his, uh, his wife every night. Um uh, they're also not, probably... not a nice place to be, UB40 in 1985. No. Also, and this is this is on record, it's in the documentary, they, they were smoking their way through bales and bales and bales of weed. You'd think they'd be absolutely chortling, just chuckling to themselves like crazy, yeah. but they, they've just come across utterly dour and miserable in this interview, don't they? Really bad. Yeah, there's a bit where uh, Chris Heath asks, uh, you know, of any other people that they want to do duets with. Obviously, they've had that big number one uh, mm. with I Got You, Babe, in earlier in 1985. He mentions Stevie Wonder. It's like, yeah, right. Good luck with um, that. goes on to say, uh, presumably one person Ali definitely won't be duetting with is Simon Le Bon. <laughs> he remembers when UB40 and Duran Duran, both of them still unknown outside Birmingham, used to rehearse next door to each other at the Rum Runner Club. I used to watch them, he sniggers. They're all into black leather and charcoal round the eyeballs. We don't know them now as people, and I'm sure we wouldn't want to. I find what they say in interviews is offensive. They're apolitical and thick. They don't even know what they are because they're stupid. <laughs> all Simon Le Bon does is talk about clothes, tries to sail around the world, but sinks in Portsmouth. What can you do with that? <laughs> Well, bands were not as guarded, were they, in these days about the stuff they said. They, they didn't have PR people going, ooh, don't say that. And you, There's no Twitter, so you can't start a Twitter spat with, with Simon Le Bon. You know, nowadays it'd just be uproar, wouldn't it? But uh, you'll see quite a lot of this, I think, in the hits. You'll see some little uh, yeah. spats and things, slings and arrows being lobbed. They even have a go at Nick Haywood. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Gosh, poor old Nick. Leave Nick Haywood alone. Come on. <laughs> um, so we, we'll turn a couple of pages here, a little uh, advert for uh, Shaking Stephen's new album and cassette, Lipstick Powder and Paints, uh, an advert for Sade's second album, uh, the, uh, the Promise, not The Promise, just Promise. Yeah, from John Menzies. £5.29, John Menzies. <laughs> Quite a deal. And we go get to the personal file of Suggs of Madness. So we already know what his uh, <laughs> choice of names would be if he had about 10 kids. Uh, but it goes through uh, the standard Smash It style questions on this one. Any any leap out to you, Pop Kids, there? Well, I'll tell you one that does. Does anyone listen to the Richard Herring podcast? Yes. Um, so he does emergency questions, and he puts a book out of emergency questions, and they're all just ridiculous things uh, like, you know, have you, you know, things like, have you seen? They're Smash Hits questions. <laughs> and one of the ones he asks is, have you ever, have you ever eaten sushi? Which is a ridiculous question. <laughs> 
<laughs> and there it is on page 31. Have you ever eaten raw fish? <laughs> you mean sushi? He says, sucks out of madness. Cause of, but he's a bit ahead of his time there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, so there you go. Yeah. So my favourite question is, do you have funny yellow stuff on your tongue when you wake up in the morning? The <laughs> <laughs> um, so one that I enjoyed. It follows on for the, uh, the raw fish sushi question. Uh, what's the most horrible thing you've ever eaten? I, I, I can't do Suggs' voice. I had this little, had this little package in a Chinese, uh, <laughs> Chinese restaurant. Well, thanks. It's Chinese restaurants. Yeah. It, <laughs> it looked like pastry, but in the middle there was a duck's foot. Oh. It wasn't until I was giving it a good chew and took it out and had a look that I realised what it was. It had all the claws on and everything. It was horrific. About the same as eating a McDonald's. <laughs> Dear. That sounds truly horrible. It does sound rather vile, yes. Um, so moving on, uh, we've got the uh, the concerts. If you'd have been a, uh, an avid gig goer in uh, 1985 or November of 85, the bands that you'd been able to see possibly coming to a town near you, uh, the Style Council are in Leicester, Gloucester, uh, Blackburn, Edinburgh and uh, London's Wembley Arena there for two nights. Uh, New Order doing a couple of dates. That, that is some classic uh, appalling organisation by New Order. They were famous for this. So they've got two gigs. They've got the Hemel Hempstead Pavilion and London Hammersmith Palais in the same week. I mean, that, that says it all. That was how they rolled. They just put some gig venues in a tombola and pick them out at random, and then they do the same with a set list. God love them. Yeah. <laughs> Fanny and Cannibals are playing Maxwell Hall in Manchester. What's that? That's uh, Salford University. Oh, um, so right, the, okay. Yeah, and The Fall uh, was supposed to do a gig there, and it was quite recent, not, you know, not long before uh, the old boy died, um, and it got cancelled because I think they were worried that the floor was going to collapse there's some sort of structural, it was a bit of a structural issue. I've never heard of any gig ever being held at there since. But yeah, I, I was I was all set to go to see the fall in Maxwell Hall. So there you go. Okay. Um, if you're an Elton John fan, uh, you're in luck at the St. Austell Coliseum. And uh, and also at the Birmingham NEC as well. Actually, those dates are in, in December. But Captain Sensible. Yay! Now, this, look at these dates here. This is what I call a tour. Yeah. <laughs> I get on my uh, grumpy old man uh, or Uncle Disgusting soapbox about this. Quite often when you see, you know, so-and-so on tour and it's just like three dates at a readers, that's not a tour. Mm-hmm. That's just a, that's just a few shows before I bet you... they're not playing Egham Royal Hollowy College, are they? No, and, and you, you look down here and how many of these places, you know, get, get bands uh, playing there now? Uh, so you've got Folkestone, Coventry, Loughborough, Preston. Um, Redcar. Yes, Swansea, Bath, Guildford, University of Surrey, Worthing. I mean, that's probably the most lively thing happening in Worthing that, that evening. Um, I say that, I, I can't say that i've got relatives who live there um cheltenham um yeah red car durham university hull university and bradford university that ladies and gentlemen is a tour that is a tour all in one month packing it all in going around all the uh, various student union and and uh, little grotty club venues in the country up and down in a transit van that's that's yeah. that's proper. Yeah. That is. I bet in Worthing they still talk about. Do you remember that night in 1985 when Captain Sensible <laughs> came into town? And yeah. there's still people meet up in pubs like on the anniversary every year and raise a glass to the good captain. You know, I remember <laughs> it like it were yesterday. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good old captain. We're at the halfway point now. Oh, my God. And, th- and this is marked quite clearly because we get to our centre spread, which is the delightful 
Howard Jones. There's only one word for this, which is groo. <laughs> <laughs> or blur. That is definitely a blurg. So this is Howard Jones, right? And I'm saying... Uh, Mr. Jones is precariously edging himself towards Le Dumper. The doors to the Dumper may even be opening up behind his head. He is wearing uh, a suit that um, I don't know how to, I really don't know how to describe it. It looks like um, the set of um, On Safari with Christopher Biggins. But made out of J-cloths, by the looks of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just looking closely. Yeah, you can. Well, it's handy. He soaks up the sweat when he's on stage, prodding away at his synthesizers. Uh, yeah, it's 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 revolting and just horrible in every way. Um, if you stare at this for too long, you, the image of uh, Howard's suit is just going to be burned onto your retinas. So, I mean, guys, don't look at it on screen for too long. Yeah, it's definitely migraine-inducing. Yeah, I think it's a I magic you can eye have some... picture. If, if you stare at his jacket for long enough, <laughs> you get a three D image. Yeah. You can see Jesus. Um, however, he may have been heading for the dumper, but he's still at it. He's got a new album coming out, old old Hojo, as he's called, on the pages of Smash It. So there you go. Who's the winner? And then we come to the, uh, the, the one of the little um, proper little time capsules within the magazine here. Um, RSVP. So it's where, basically, you're asking for pen pals. And it was when I was reading this, you know, looking down, People's full addresses are printed. Yeah. James Turner, 6 Serpentine Road, Newton Heath, Manchester. I could go around and visit. He's only, he only lives around the road, see if, see if he's in. How's it going, James? He's still liking you, Thomas Dolby. How did you know that? Imagine. You'd freak him out, wouldn't it? He wants to... Uh, this is me as well. He's, he thinks he's a cut above, right? He goes, uh, I'm a Thomas Dolby fan who also likes OMD, Japan, Sir Philip Collins. Good lad. Uh, Art of noise and propaganda. I hate Duran Duran, Wham, and any other teeny bopper rubbish. Any girls 15 to 17 write to James Turner. Good luck with that, James. Oh, yeah. my goodness. That's great. Uh, Gavin, anybody that uh, you want to write to there? Yeah, there's a couple of really funny ones. I really like it. There's a lad. Um, my name's David. I'm 14 year old, and as a hobby, I run a disco. Ooh. Which, uh, well, that's a DJ then, isn't it, really? But, but um, yeah. I'm into all music. And I, what I like is he's not put Howard Jones, he's put H. Jones and G. Newman. <laughs> well, did you have to pay for the word count, maybe? I don't well, that's know. what I'm thinking. I thought it was free. Uh, but yeah. may, maybe you had to pay per word count, and that's why he's done it. Um, the one I really like, this one made me laugh as well, is um, Miriam, 15-year-old girl. Um, where's, where's she gone? Here we are. Yeah, help. I'm a 15-year-old German girl. And I, I don't know what the story is behind this. It says, and every day I'm locked up in a school with loads of Americans. Uh, what's going on there? <laughs> Any people into black clothes, strange haircuts, Gary Newman, The Cure, Depeche Mode, Anne Clark, Susie and The Damned, write to me and save me from all these Bruce Springsteen lookalikes. Miriam in West Germany. Poor Miriam. I'd write oh, to her like, in a heartbeat. She sounds great. Yeah, she sounds great. So all the people that are 12 or 13 years old, maybe 16 or something like that, and looking for people to write to of a similar age. But then you get uh, Sue Bowen, who lives at uh, 12 Clay Drive in Quinton, Birmingham. <laughs> I would like to get in touch with any John Fox fans anywhere. Please let me know that I'm not his only fan. Aww. I'm twen- I'm 23. <laughs> Whoa. I'm 23, and I'm also into Billy Idol, Paul Young, and Dead or Alive. Oh, oh. I like John Fox. Um, yeah. But- yeah, so I, I'm down with you, Supo, and you're cool. I'm all right with that. Now, this is a, a section of Smash It's that I think we can all agree on between us here that um, this is possibly one of the, the sections that we turn to first. 
Yeah. Whether it landed on your doormat, whether you nipped down to the news agents to pick it up, however, however you got your smash hits. And it's the uh, singles reviews in this edition, uh, reviewed by Tom Hibbert, which means that uh, there's some rather outlandish reviews, basically just ignoring the songs because they're rubbish <laughs> <laughs> and going off on one of his flights of fancy. Uh, 14 singles in all, including Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Midure, Top Aheadon, Dan Hartman, Captain Sensible, The Art of Noise, Simonics, Artists United Against Apartheid and Latin Quarter. So we'll pick out a few of these and uh, let's start with Single of the Fortnight and one that was completely new to me, The Lucy Show. Yeah. yeah. I gave it a listen on YouTube and it wasn't, it didn't do anything for me. It's a bit forgetful. I don't remember the band at all. No, I don't. I did a little bit of digging on it because, uh, you know, a dedicated person that I am. Uh, and I think you've probably both done this as well. Listen to all 14 singles that were reviewed in this particular edition of Smash Hits. And yeah, didn't know the Lucy show at all. And the, the uh, initial version that I came across of this song was the demo version which is fantastic. Okay. It's really good. It's it's like a, a, a Krautrock Cosmiche sort of thing with this uh, oh. drum machine going away that makes it sound a bit like um, Harmonia. Uh, and then these you know, it's kind of like insistent guitars and uh, it sounds like it's being recorded in a, in a damp bedsit in, in London somewhere. It was a couple of Canadian guys who, who came over to London to try and to seek their fortune and, uh, and form this band. Uh, but by the time they got it into the studio and, you know, they got all the uh, gated reverb on there and got the proper drums clattering away and stuff, it just loses any magic that it had uh, whatsoever. So if you're checking that one out, it's on the Spotify playlist that we've put together. Uh, you, you'll find it on there. But the video for this, well, a video of it is also on the YouTube playlist if you want to hear how it turned out eventually. But, yeah, Hibbert's uh, quite a... Uh, Quite fond of this. Um, guitars nip and chatter while the singer, with the sleepy drawl of a British Jack Nicholson, well, Canadian, but anyway, uh, gets all sardonic about hanging out on the corner with his stinky friends. Not much of a song tune-wise, but the sound is dashingly gloomy. You can dance to it, you can call it art if you so wish. Either way, it's shimmeringly cool. It wasn't a hit. <laughs> uh, no, next is Midnight Runners. Uh, this is what she's like. We've already uh, mentioned this a little bit, and, and it's hard to, to kind of decide whether um, Tom Hibbert's in, in favour of this or not. Yeah, it's a funny review, isn't it? I mean, it, it's very entertaining anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think he's quite sure whether he likes it or not. You know, He just says at the end he's made a ludicrous pop disc and I'm not sure whether in Tom Hibbert's world that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'd have thought a good thing in Planet Hibbert, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, but he, he calls it a half-baked Irish show band with a doddery old fiddle player, you know. I'm not sure. I would have I would have absolutely hated that record at the time. I wouldn't have. I, I really like it now, but I would. That that's another grown-up. That's grown-up music as well. And I think that might be part of the problem they've, they've got with Dexys is they've jumped a few leaps ahead, haven't they? And they've just gone not very poppy, having been a bit, you know... Bouncy and poptastic in the you know swinger swingerillion in the early days, but they're not uh, swingerillion anymore, are they? They've all gone very serious. Uh, now Phyllis Nelson, uh, she had a, a big number one with Move Closer. Uh, and then she follows it up with a song called I Like You. Now I was listening to this before I re- read the review. <laughs> I'm listening to it thinking, Move Closer, it's it's, it's sensual lover's ballad uh, sort of thing. And it's quite, you know, quite passionate, quite intense. And she follows it up with a song called I Like You. 
<laughs> and that's that's something that uh, Hibbert picks up in, in his review. I like you, not I love you, or even I like you an awful lot. Just I like you. There's a little sign of passion in the song. <laughs> it's no move closer, is it? It's pretty forgettable, this one as well. Poor old Phyllis. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's kind of like uh, this song is... Um sort of a sequel to Move Closer and then she got cold feet and so the guy moved closer and then she was like, oh, I'm not I'm not really into this. And then it's like, oh, I like you. You know, it's... And the next one after this was probably called It's Not You, It's Me. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be the three singles. Um, proper smash its territory with the next one then. Uh, there can't have been a fortnight gone by uh, since this band appeared on the scene in 1982 that, that they weren't mentioned in Smash It's. And I'm surprised that this didn't get single of the week. It is, of course, Wham! And uh, I'm Your Man, uh, which, yeah, you know, my, my sister, she, she was a Wham! fan at the time, so I had no choice but to listen to them. I didn't mind this one, quite enjoyed this one. Although listening to it now it does strike me very much as Freedom Part 2. It's got that Motown kind of mm. uh, thing going on. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I wouldn't have liked it at all. I didn't, I didn't like Wham. You know, I was like Tim was saying earlier, kind of more into the what I thought was the more serious grown-up music, like the Cult and you know the Mission and uh, <laughs> the Alarm and Big Country. But uh, oh, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it, it is a good single, right? Yeah, I don't think it's anywhere near their best. It's, um, I've, you know, the early, the early few singles are the best ones I think and those top of the pops performances um, when you wash them back George Michael's just got it absolutely nailed down every every dance move and every sort of thing the way they move the way they look he's, he's really really he's just see what a clever guy he was and how he's really thought every little bit of it through but yeah I remember this being such a big deal at the time because is this the very last single it was uh, I think it was next to last The Edge of Heaven was the last single and I think uh... oh yeah and they were, they'd got that big Wembley gig lined up pretty soon hadn't they where they were going to brace basically you know call it a day and yeah i just remember this being like a massive big deal at the time yeah um the video for this was uh filmed at the old marquee club down in that there london and um quite a few of these songs recorded off top of the pops at the time i remember my sister being very uh entertained by george michael's tambourine skills because he's you know he's, he's given it some quite heavy action into his crotch mm. uh in the video but when i've looked back and tried to uh, watch this video on youtube that's not in there, so I don't know if it's been censored or you know mm. re-edited or you know just just mm. kind of like you know gently swept under the carpet or not. So I'm going to have to dig out my old VHS tapes. <laughs> when you see the tambo crotch, yeah, smashing it into his crotch there. Tom Hibbert's very much in in favour of this one. Yeah, and it says a dignified hit. G. Michael is a proper star. Not entirely sure what Andrew does on this, but no doubt he does it very well too. It's very diplomatic, isn't it? We, Andrew does fuck all on this record. It's still like it like all the others. <laughs> um, now, the Pet Shop Boys yes. making... I would guess this is... Because this is their second single proper mm. after Opportunity. So I'm guessing Opportunity's made an appearance in, in Smash It's. Uh, but this is the one that took them all the way to the top of most of the pop most. I went out and bought this single, West End Girls. Still absolutely amazing record. Uh, your thoughts, gentlemen? Absolutely agree with you. I mean, I'm not um, I'm not one of these people that sort of avidly follows the shoppies. Um, I haven't really kind of followed their uh, career beyond the first couple of albums. But yeah, this one, this record still, re- you know, it's one of those where it gets the hairs on your back of your neck go up. Um, it's a it's a stunning, stunning record. Just the pro- the production, the moody, the, the really moody sound of the synths and everything. Um, and I remember just being struck by how weird his voice sounded. He's got that really clipped kind of English. Um, sometimes you know that really like sort of like slightly camp but very very sort of you know 
well-spoken voice over the top it's just brilliant um yeah and it's aged it's aged very well i think as well uh yeah absolutely cracking single that should have been yeah. single of the week but I, maybe they didn't want to be too nepotistic towards their uh, their own staff member <laughs> uh and yeah this is it they're, they're on their way now aren't they to to uh definitely definitely right in the middle of the giddy carousel of pop right now already aren't they so, yeah, yeah it's what you're saying there tim about how, how well it's aged it really has it still sounds great and it's it's still really that image of the pet shop boys is the one that still sticks in people's head isn't it from that video and them just walking around disconsolately you know around a i, I guess it was, set, it was set in london wasn't it i think the video mm. um you know the two of them moodily walking along i just say there's some great um parodies of the video as well with um, Flight of the Concords, you, yeah. you know, the Flight of the Concords one. And I think Raw Sex <laughs> did a great Pet Shop Boys <laughs> kind of uh, parody as well that you can find on YouTube. Um, but, yeah, this is where they really kind of arrived fully formed, wasn't it? You know, and uh, this song was just... It was massive for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah. But it, it is, it is. You know, as as time goes on, I appreciate the Pet Shop Boys more and more yeah. for just how how different and how special... Uh, well, how different they were and how special they are, mm. um, and I, I feel like that about a lot of a lot of pop music. Uh, we, I think we possibly took it for granted at the time. Definitely, just all these great songs were coming out one after another. You, know, you think about something like Ghost Town by the Specials, and yeah, we just accepted it. Yeah, it's a good song, but we just accepted it. It's, it's a pop song. It's on the radio. Yeah, it's, and then I heard it. Uh, um, I think it was last year, year before. Um, just just really loud with a really heavy bass. Um, and it just struck me how just how extraordinary it is and how it was constructed and just how different it was to absolutely anything else that was around at the time. And and I, I, I keep coming across songs that I know really, really well and finding that about them and that they actually were extraordinary songs. And we just kind of took them for granted at the time because it was just pop music. And it was coming out of tiny little AM radios in a car or, um, you know, crappy speakers on a telly or, you know, at best on uh, those really terrible quality headphones that came with my Walkman, which would hurt your ear. They would really hurt your ears after a while. That was terrible, tacky plastic headphones, wouldn't they? So, um, yeah, but so, yeah, like you say, when you revisit some of these songs, they, they, they still sound amazing. Uh, now the West End Girls is definitely one of them. Definitely one of my, uh, yeah, that's one of my top twenty all time. Actually, that song, fantastic. Mm. So come on now to the album reviews. So uh, let's pick a few of these out, starting with uh, a compilation for the Christmas market, with uh, the Spandau Ballet singles collection uh, getting uh, a strong eight out of ten there. Although uh, this this reviewer gets it the wrong way around, doesn't he? It's a plainly packaged compilation. I can't disagree with that. Of every Spandau single to date. From the heady days when the band wore very horrible kilts and Gary Kemp played synth on stage, hey, to the polished present, and it gives everyone an opportunity to appreciate Gary's consistently developing talent as a songwriter, the best maybe yet to come. And no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and the best bit of Spandau Ballet is when they were wearing the kilts. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Everyone yeah. knows that. Uh, and then you've got the, uh, the Echo and the Bunny Men songs to learn, so you like, like so yes. that, that gets a nine out of ten. Um, yeah, quite right. And then we get into the uh, non-compilation albums. Uh, cool notes. Have a good forever. Uh, that gets a um, four out of ten. There, I had a little listen to these. I can understand the uh, the, the four out of ten review. They actually had quite a sizable hit in '85, and I don't recall it in any way whatsoever. I don't know if. Uh, if, if it rings any bells uh, with you guys. What was the big hit? Was it Spend the Night? Spend the Night, yeah. 
number 11 in 1985 there. Yeah, I couldn't whistle it to, yeah. I kind of vaguely remember it. Is it just kind of like a disco-y fun kind of tune? Yeah, it kind of sounds like... It's not dissimilar to what Five Star were doing at the time, but also mm. a bit, bit Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, that sort of thing. I like some of that stuff now. I didn't like it at all at the time, but some of that stuff I dig, yeah. yeah. Move on to uh, Miss... Grace Jones. Um, the album Slave to the Rhythm, which is comprised of multiple different arrangements of that song. Each one is musically different, and it's a different tune, but it's the same lyrics in every one, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I don't know it. I know, I know the song, you know, the, the single yeah. uh, that was a hit, but I've never heard the album. So, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I'm not an expert on, on, on Grace Jones. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a whole album of different versions. That's a strange one. Yeah, because this is the one that um, Trevor Horn produced, and it's got um, Ian McShane uh, as like the uh, master of ceremonies on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it gets three out of 10, which I think is rather unfair. I'll check this out because the idea of. I'm not. I'm not averse to. I'd like 45 minutes of Slave to the Rhythm. It's an absolutely man, magnificent song. I'm, I'm, I've never heard it. This this one song. I'm going to go and have a listen to that later. Go check it out. I love 45 minutes of that. Any song. Yeah. Uh, then we move on to uh, something that would probably never happen now oh. uh, in a magazine because it would be uh, yeah, <laughs> it would mean a loss of advertising revenue. A naught out of ten review for the Doncaster rocker John Parr. <laughs> Uh, with his self-titled album, John Parr. Um, growing up in Sheffield in South Yorkshire, it was a big deal made of John Parr at the time. But even I recognised that, you know, it, 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 was, it was a bit of a stinker, really. Uh, it, it, it come up through the working men's club scene in the 1970s. Uh, but Tom Hibbert uh, just ends the review with a nuisance. Well, now, nowadays, uh, six out of ten is the new naught out of ten, isn't it? Nothing is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. nothing, nothing in a if you go through an uncut or a mojo, nothing gets less than seven normally. And it's just like, oh god, so there's just loads of yeah, another quite good record. Oh, here's another quite a good record you can play on Spotify. And every so often they'll give something nine, um, but you'll never see no out of ten. And it's just like they're the ones you read, yeah. You want to know why, you know, why is this album so bad and you want to read it. Um, you know, or you want to read the one that's nine out of ten, that's got to be good. But seven, you know, Love and Rockets, seven out of ten, can't even bother reading that one. (laughs) (laughs) But nowadays, that's just the norm, isn't it? Um, Next, it's the uh, solo album by Teresa Bazaar from uh, Dollar. Which has just been reissued. So I believe. And regarded as something of a lost classic. I've never heard it, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The album's called The Big Kiss, and uh, another one reviewed by Tom Hibbert, and he says, Ah, me, the world just hasn't been the same since Dollar split up. The way (laughs) Teresa used to glance at partner David Van Day whenever they were on telly was heartrending. I know he's a bit of a bimbo, viewers, but he needs me, her eyes seem to say. (laughs) Without, Without a straight man to bounce her comic eye, ideas off however Teresa is stranded the big kiss a recent flop single was an almost brilliant attempt to recreate the wheezy sound dollar sound of mirror mirror but the rest of the stuff on this lp is stodge except for a new version of dollars epic give me back my heart which is hopeless perhaps she should join red box Ooh. <laughs> got it in for them uh, and then we uh, get on to uh, rock royalty next Elton John apparently his 19th studio album this one uh, one called Ice on Fire that uh, Nikita was the, uh, the the hit from that George Michael's on there 
Nick Kershaw makes an appearance. Millie Jackson, uh, Sister Sledge, um, that they're all uh, helping out. Mel Gaynor from Simple Minds is playing drums mm. on there. Uh, Pino Palladino, you couldn't make a record in the 80s without Pino Palladino <laughs> and his fretless bass. <laughs> so he's in there, as are uh, Roger Taylor and John Deacon of Queen, giving it some drum and bass on, uh, on one of the tracks, apparently. Uh, this gets five and a half out of ten. And uh, it says it's disappointingly old-fashioned. I, I listened to the opening track, though. It's, you know, it's proper, you know, uh, clattery 80s stuff that instantly, instantly forgettable. Um, I don't know if, <laughs> if anybody else has got any opinions or thoughts they wish to share on Elton John of the 80s. You couldn't pay me enough money to, to sit down and listen to this record. <laughs> now, and I've never even heard it apart from the singles, but, you know, it just sounds... Fucking awful, <laughs> really. Let's be honest, you know, really bad. <laughs> Nikita's you know. a stinker of a song, isn't it? As well, yeah. But, I mean, he was still fair play to him. He was still having big hits uh, with this around this time. Well, I know. think it's, it's the Live Aid bounce. Um, yeah, you know, I don't want to keep harping on about Live Aid, but it was you know that event was really good in terms of business for the what we would call now heritage acts that are on there. Yeah. Uh, Queen, Elton John, people in the status quo got back together after doing Live Aid. So there's that thing. And it's, it's kind of like the the point in in pop music where it, it starts to turn around on itself. Because so, you've got the CD starting to come in, uh, lots of stuff being reissued. So record companies are, are realising that they can make money out of the old stuff and they can make money out of the old guys. Uh, so you get this whole kind of, yeah, this sort of split of pop music carries on, but then the, the the old heritage acts are starting to like, you know, starting to milk it, but not really delivering the goods with the new music. And we come now to uh, one of the other cornerstones of Smash It's the letters page with uh, the responses from Black Type. I mean, I would I would say sort of reading through them, a lot of them are quite hard to read because of all the... Um quotation marks and you know there's loads of in jokes and you know the rsvp stuff i found more kind of i I would have thought that the letters page would have been great but then as i was reading it it seems so much kind of of its time and you know often referring to other things that have been in the letters page in previous weeks and stuff I remember finding this hilarious when I was a kid, but yeah, it, yeah, it, it hasn't aged that well, has it? And and the humour, which I'm, I mean, I mean, it's Hibbert, but the humour is a bit sort of stout pint of foaming ale, you stout mo yeoman of the bar. It's a bit, it's a bit goon show, a bit Python esque sort of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, come across well, but it's like an ongoing soap opera, so. If you'd have been reading Smash Hits on a regular basis every every fortnight, you'd just be in on all these. These are memes, aren't they? Before before there were memes on the internet, and you'd be in on all these in jokes. And I would just be chuckling like mad to this stuff. Um, but if you just pick one out at random and trying to make sense of it, it doesn't quite fly. No. I, I, I'm like you, Gavin. I, I sort of got a bit bored reading reading these. Really, I, could, I wasn't following the uh, the jokes. There's a big longer one about Jimmy Savile at the end as well, which I should probably gloss over. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. Eh? <laughs> I used to just, I used to just laugh at the um, the names people gave themselves as well. Like you know, it would just be things like Mor- Morrissey's left nipple, or you know, um, Nick, Nick Kershaw's um, snood. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. People, people made up. No, I used to love that. Yeah, here we are. Dame Una's magical coffee beans. Wallacey, Merseyside. <laughs> my uh, my claim to fame. I had. Uh, I I think I only ever sent one letter into one letter into Smash Hits, but it got printed, and that was about. <gasps> yeah, 
that was about the uh, the names that people put um you know the the sign offs and it was pretending to be uh, an angry letter saying how stupid the names were I, the only one i remember that i complained about was uh, someone had signed off as jimmy the hoover's dustbag and i uh, <laughs> my my name was bad vibes sully hull and wow uh, yeah I, I had it cut out and everything, but I've lost it now. But it'll, it'll be, be scanned somewhere. We'll, we'll find it'll it be one on of these there. days. You need to remember what the issue was. It'll be up there. Yeah, uh, Simon, been about Simon's eight... probably got a copy of it. It's probably behind my sofa right now. <laughs> so then we come to our, our next big feature. Uh, it's the cover star, no less. Uh Simple Minds, interview with uh, Jim Kerr out there in uh, New York. And it's uh, j- just about the time that the album, um, go on, what, what was it called? Once Upon a Time? No. Once Upon a Time. Yes. It's a very forgettable name, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's was, rubbish. It was, was released. Yeah, I mean, there's not an awful lot going on here. I don't, um, I remember putting the picture on my wall. I don't remember much about the interview, I've got to say. Well, they're all smiling uh, nicely in, in the uh, the photo there. Apart from the guy, I don't even know his name, he must be the replacement for Derek Forbes, uh, the guy next to Jim Kerr in the white shirt. He's pulling a bit of a Suggs face there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it is Suggs. Um, <laughs> they're on the way to Super Stadium filling Megastart mm. here now. Oh, absolutely. They? They're yeah. pretty much there. Um, and I loved Once Upon a Time at the time. And I played it again recently and that's not it's not aged well that really bombastic over the top drum sound and Derek Forbes the bass player has left I think at this point and you realise later listening back it's obvious how important he was to the sound uh, and he didn't like he didn't like the direction they were going in at all and uh, yeah I think their best is behind them but I loved uh, Spark in the Rain and, and uh, New Gold Dream in particular massive really like them and they still sound good i really like early simple minds is it still stands up i think much better than you too well that's the thing a lot of people used to compare uh, simple minds to you two back in the day well they don't sound anything like it's weird isn't it because they don't know they don't sound anything like each other i could never really hear it it's only because they they were tour together um i guess and they were both had a big stadium rock sound and they both you know, Scottish and Irish, there's some kind of connection there as well. Um, but apart from the fact that they had a, a little guy at the front doing a lot of moves, <laughs> they were very different. Um, and I think you two might have started out trying to rip Simple Minds off a bit and then obviously eventually sailed past them. But uh, oh, I've still got a soft spot for these guys. I like them. Even down to the two, you know, there's only two of them left now, aren't there? But uh, they're all right, Simple Minds. I like them. Yeah. Jim Kerr's asked about uh, you two here. He says, what does Jim think of you two? With whom Simple Minds are so often compared? Well, it is clear that he feels a certain affinity. Uh, Jim says, I-, I think we share a vision and we share a clumsiness as well. And we share the same kind of blood. When I first saw you two on TV, their expressions look like the ones I see on stage when I look around me. Blank. I don't know. I really, really admire them. <laughs> I really, really admire them, and we've become friends. Bono came over and stayed with me in Scotland at New Year. Ooh, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> Another cheesy what's it, Bono? Um, yeah, but but I think there's also a big difference between us. I think our music has a sort of femininity that theirs lacks. Do you know, he's absolutely right. Yeah. And personally, I'm really glad about that. 
He's absolutely right. And what I liked, um, I remember at the time, uh, you know, when you're young and you're trying to sort of change your music taste, and yes, I needed some. But I thought, you too, good manly music, I think I was sort of thinking in my head. You know, this is, this is for grown-up boys, you know. This is big boys' music. You too, yes. You know, the flag-waving and military drums. It's very marchy, isn't it, some of the U2 stuff? Uh, and it's not very... Later on, obviously, they, they went a bit more disco-fied, didn't they? Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's onto something there, old Jim. About, about the difference between the two, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a, a bit of a slinkier sound to to Simple Minds. Yeah, the most concerning thing, or, or the thing that Jim Kerr seems to be uh, concerned with most in the piece, is his lack of socks. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, obviously Jim isn't the sort of person to wear loafers and no socks, so he's, he's clearly a sock man. Yeah, I was going to say in the eighties it was shouldn't be a problem man. for a. <laughs> Lack of socks really shouldn't be a problem for an 80s rock star. They was going to say they didn't bloody wear them, did they? I mean, the rest of the band on that picture, they, they're looking very Don Johnson. <laughs> yes, they are. It's, it's very Miami Vice, yeah. isn't it? Especially Mel Gaynor there. Look yeah, at that. Yeah. Um, All them shoulder pads yeah, going on. A, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. None more 80s. And, uh, yeah, Jim Kerr's got almost sort of a... He's got a thing for collars. He can't have a normal collar, can he? <laughs> he's got to have a sort of, like, baggy snood type thing. Yeah. And then he's... And on the and when he's not got his Lego jacket on, <laughs> something else that we learn about uh, Jim Kerr in this is we learn he's not afraid of a tower block. He says, um, "I think there's a beauty in size, but there's also a, a fear of pomposity." He's talking about his music, and it's a thin line between them. But I'm not afraid of size, you know. I remember being a kid, and for 18 years I lived in a high-rise block, and used to stand at the bottom of it and look up and wonder. But I never felt in awe of it or anything. So there you go, a man who's not afraid of being at the bottom of a tower block and looking up and going, come on then, yeah, tower block. That's deep, man. So we, we move on from that to um, everybody's favourite Essex soul boy oh, and man. synth maestro, God. Paul Hardcastle. <laughs> uh, a little feature here, uh, plus the lyrics to his latest offering, Just For Money. Uh, which was principally about the great train robbery and features uh, Larry, Sir Lawrence Olivier, and Bob Hoskins as well, being a train robber. Well, Bob Jacket with a very horrible collar, Hoskins, as he gets called here. Yeah, that is that is quite a collar. It's that is dreadful, isn't it? Yeah. Now, Paul Harcastle. Do you know? You know that what's that band? Public Service Broadcasting. Hmm. And everyone just goes, "Oh, amazing! Aren't they? They're so innovative, aren't they?" You know all the things. Paul Harcastle was on that years ago. I mean, if you, the, the beginning of this record is uh, Lawrence Olivier reading, the royal, the royal train is loaded with over two and a half million pounds. That's more money than most people can dream of. Now, <laughs> by the way, I can dream of more than two and a half million pounds. But anyway, he says that's more than most people can dream of. It's just, it's just public service broadcasting with this, you know, terrible Arthur Baker style clattering electro beats on it as far as I'm concerned it's, it's certainly a, a less inspired track than 19 uh, yeah, it's, it's, and what numbered uh, in the charts did it get to go on no 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 19 is correct oh. I looked it up there you go um, I, I once spent a day with Paul Hardcastle no <laughs> yeah um, I used to work at um, a studio in London where you know we'd record interviews and, and things like that and he'd got a new album coming out it must have been about mm, 2001, maybe. And uh, and he was doing a round of interviews down the line, as they call it, uh, to various local radio stations up and down the country. And I was the engineer for the day. And I just sat in a studio with Paul Hardcastle all day, 
it didn't shut up. Oh, really? <laughs> he's, he's a proper geezer. He's a chatterbox. He's, he loves his cars. He was telling me how to get out of speeding tickets and all this sort of thing. Was <laughs> oh. <laughs> full of all sorts of uh, useful advice. Amazing. <laughs> So when you were when you're producing him, were you not tempted to keep stuttering his uh So what about this song? Has anyone have we listened to it? Did you have a listen, yeah, yeah. I listened to it. It's not it really isn't good, is it? He's uh, he's no. hanging on to the giddy carousel of pot by his fingernails with this one. It's a poor <laughs> follow up to nineteen. It's um I mean the lyrics are talk about clunking you over the head, you know, it's not subtle. There's a great line in it towards the end. Um I love this is he says, just don't mess it up or the only place you'll be going is the scrubs. Brackets, the scrubs, the scrubs. And it's just full of lyrics about crime and money and it's, yeah, it's as subtle as a I'm, I'm going to South America, sit in a bar and drink champagne. D -d 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 don't mess it up. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the only bars you'll be seeing will be on your windows. <laughs> I mean, it literally is. You know that record you did, Paul, about um, Vietnam? And you had lots of light talking on it. <laughs> oh, why did he do it? It's 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 dreadful. Yeah, I mean, it, it was sliding off the carousel there, but he uh, was back on it with his next single. He got back on, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, don't waste my time. And then he got to do the top of the pops theme. The Wizard, which was used for quite a few years. He must have got an enormous Gregory Peck every year for that as well. He's done <laughs> yeah. very well out of that, yeah. Yeah. And also he was remixing a lot of stuff around that time as well. I remember getting the his remix of Ian Dury's Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick. Oh, God. Hit, hit, hit me. Hit, hit, yes, hit exactly. Me <laughs> you, you guessed it. Rut, 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 rhythm Stick. Yep. All of that. All of that. Also, I've got, I've got a mate who's a massive uh, jazz funk obsessive and he swears blind that uh, some early stuff that Paul Harcastle did uh, in other bands that's considered to be you know really really high at a decent of the genre he's you correct know. oh right <laughs> yeah it's true there you go yeah uh, moving on now to the water boys and uh, Gav this is one of the, uh, the the records that you bought yeah with, uh, was that your pocket money or newspaper round how were how, how you buying these things um, I how did I get money I had a better way around oh um, so I used to do that, and then I think at the same time, I'd start. Oh, I'd been working down at the um, the Games Workshop uh, shop in Birmingham uh, New Street Precinct as well. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a combination of those two. So this was one that actually spent proper money on it, like when it was properly in the charts and everything. Uh, I didn't wait for it to uh, go into the bargain bin. I loved this. I still like it now. Actually, it's still. Uh, I think just because I listen to it so much, it still kind of takes me back, you know. I get quite nostalgic when I hear it. And I had this, this was the only page of this magazine that I'd put up on my, you know, a, a lot of my wall decorations in my bedroom were pages from uh, Smash Hits. And, uh, yeah, this one used to be on my wall. Because, I mean, you know, it's not a typical one for a teenage lad to have. A picture of Mike Scott, it looks like he's got one eye in this photo. One eye and an incredibly and large hat. We've got rust in... spots on it as well. Or, well is, that, is it, or is it cigarette burns? As he's been flicking his, his fags on it. Isn't it? Yeah, maybe. But um, this is a great tune. Do you two like this song still? Yeah, I do. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. I didn't like it that much at the time, but subsequently, I really like it. I think it's brilliant. I'm not a huge Waterboys fan, but um, this this is 
it's it's just magnet. It's unarguable. This song, it's magnificent. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't much of a fan either. I, I just liked this song, and, and I never really liked anything else by him that, that much. But so. also, I wouldn't have been impressed by uh, uh, the head. I love the headliner. Uh, a group with one person in it who writes songs about rainbows, unicorns, and schmittars and prints. Uh, I, I wouldn't have been impressed by that when I was 12. But uh, now I'm, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've got to the end of that now, and uh, we, we've been talking about the, uh, the the dumper and the giddy carousel. Who, who do you think then? You know, because we've we've got the benefit of hindsight now. That's well, n- nearly everybody on these pages is, are, you know, they're they're nearly all still going. Yeah, <laughs> and you wouldn't mm. you, you'd be you know it's just, it's an old cliche in it, but you'd be thinking you know oh these bands won't still be going when I'm pushing fifty. And nearly apart from you know, Matt Bianco and. Um, <laughs> Some of those bands on the uh, the singles reviews, uh, uh, Lucy Show or whatever. Apart from that, they're nearly bloody shaking Stevens. They're nearly all still going. Yeah, albeit in you know those eighties rewind festivals are keeping some of these people's careers in check. But you know uh, Lloyd Cole there, he's just got a new album coming out, getting lots of good press. Still packing them in. UB40 is still going in two different bands. <laughs> Madness is still packing them in every year. You could say maybe that Dexes at the time, and, uh, you know, again, Dexes are a band that are still around now and are very uh, influential and, you know, well-loved and respected. But at the time, I think they were certainly heading for the dumper, weren't they, after the heady days of Come On Eileen and, and so on. Would Duran Duran about to slide into the dumper a little bit? Because they were well, starting they to look done... a bit old-fashioned by then, weren't they? I know they, were, yeah. they still had their fans, but they were kind of usurped by the Aha Boys, I guess. They, yeah, def- absolutely, definitely. They look really old-fashioned. They look ridiculous. Those Mad Max outfits just <laughs> yeah. look so ridiculous next to Aha. No one's having that, are they? They look no. a bit. They look, they look a bit laughable. But I think have they still got View to a Kill in them? Yeah, so, so they, 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 View to a Kill have been out that summer, and then the band had kind of split two ways. So you got they've split now, haven't they? You, you, you got the Power Station. And you've got Arcadia, Arcadia, um, mm. and I think Duran Duran. You can also just see mountains of cocaine, basically. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's what's going on there, and and, yeah. and, and, yeah. A, and a yacht. Yeah. Um, no, because I think they, they shed a few members and then uh, came back with a notorious album. I think that was in '86. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. They've got a few rounds left on the Giddy Carousel. They left in them. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, they came back quite respectfully with Ordinary World. Yeah, and then they've just kind of maintained maintained a level, I would say. Yeah, yeah. They, they the carousel out, slowed yeah. down for them. Yeah, but they can still pack them in, can't they? And uh, still played on the radio. Um, yeah, they're all right. They're not as good as they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, my only thought that it really is eighty five better than I remember looking. Thinking when well, if you mentioned eighty five, I'd have been like, ah, no, it's all music was on the slide a bit then. But actually looking back at this, no, it's it's great there's loads of good stuff in it um yeah so uh, i'm going to revisit i always thought i was always a bit of a 1981 82 83 guy uh and now i'm going to i'm going to check myself and revisit uh 85 a bit more as well having flicked through this edition because yeah it's another good year i think it's not it's certainly not 1986 (laughs) i think for pop music as we as we knew it in the 80s this was the last good year Still lots of great stuff coming out, but you can also hear and detect some of the uh, rot starting to set in. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. As evidenced by the current run of Top of the Pops, which is uh, 88 
And it's pretty hard work watching. I'm, I am oh, still I've, wading I've through them. I've given up on it now. I'm sick of the sight of Jellybean Benitez. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always, here's another really uh, faceless song, unmemorable un- Jellybean track. It's like, oh, God. And f- here come to pow, and uh, it's not great. Yeah. Come on, sorry, I was just going to say, can I sneak one last thing in under the wire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a nice way to close things off because we started talking about my diary. And on November the 17th, I'd obviously counted all my seven-inch singles and I had 114 singles. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. 14, yeah. That's a good collection, man, for that age. Awesome. Yeah, happy with that. Uh, right, well, thank you, Gavin. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Tim, for being our guest on this inaugural edition of the Giddy Carousel Pop. It's been a blast. Thank you. Uh, night, com. That's all I'm saying. And any other plugs you want to get in there? Uh, uh, at Dig... Oh, well, I, I don't tweet, but at Dig Vinyl on Twitter if you wish to uh, find out about uh, record shops run by a friend of mine who also put out our album, which is called uh, Frontline by Night Dubbing. Oh, and uh, what the, I need to... Uh, Melodic Distraction Radio Liverpool. Um, um, I'll be on it at some point in the later in the year, so... Melodic distraction. Yeah, busy chap packing it all in. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a multimedia node. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks to you out there for listening. You can follow us on the uh, usual social media channels at Giddy Pop Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you'll also find those links to uh, the edition of Smash It's that we've been uh, having a look at, along with those uh, Spotify and YouTube playlists as well. And you can just come and say hello, you know. Uh, so we hope you can join us next time on the Giddy Carousel of Pop.